Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, we've hit some episodes uh, in the last six months to a year or so about mm-hmm. things like sustainable growth. Yes. Embracing automation. Mm-hmm. Uh, building strategic relationships to grow your company. True. And a lot of the, a couple of those that we did was just you and me. Yes. And yes. we admit in our opinions. Right. We admit that we're not <laughs> experts. On air things. quotes, full air quotes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. we brought in an expert today to kind of tie all that together into a, a story about rapid scaling. Yes. Uh, so we have Daniel Cooper with us today. He is an automation expert. He's going to help us talk, you know, a little more in depth about this idea of how to scale your business. Yep. He knows a lot about this stuff. Yep. But I think we're we can kind of maybe pull those messages together into a, a cohesive story you know for our VAR audience and I think also especially for our software companies yes, a lot of times absolutely. that are kind of in that startup phase maybe yeah. you're still trying yep. to figure out how to how to take that next step you yep. know and and grow and scale at an exponential level and too fast growth can be bad too exactly right we'll get so into that too. yeah there's yeah. That, so, that sweet spot yep. there you gotta so find. we're going to explain kind of that that rapid scaling what that really means how mm-hmm. you things could go wrong potentially mm-hmm. we're going to talk about some structuring that you can do of simple systems to get you there and also he's gonna we're gonna riff a little bit more on this whole remote work thing because yeah. that can actually be a piece of the puzzle to scale right. up your company as well all right fair so, enough fair enough all, all that to plus, unpack exactly all that plus the usual value to the var and what's tech connecting with us it's time to plug in and get connected welcome to the tech connect podcast it's time to get connected As I mentioned, our guest today, Daniel Cooper, he is a self-professed growth geek, the uh, the founder of Lollico, and the author of an upcoming book, Upgrade, The Lightning Fast Path to Productivity and Automation in Business. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, I'll let you start off kind of talking a little bit maybe more about yourself and explain what got you into automation and into founding Lolly. That's great. Thanks so much, both. Uh, It's great to be here. I really appreciate bringing you on as a guest. Um, So what got me into automation and, and starting Lollico? Well, I, I'm a I'm a developer, so I've made software for a, a number of years. And like most software developers, I like automation. I like to just automate things that are slowing me down. And really, uh, in the businesses that I've built, things have got really busy. And, I, and you guys know, when you build businesses, things get really hectic and you just kind of put plasters on stuff and you move on. And automation is often a way of solving those fires and dampening them down and moving on to the next thing so i got very much used to doing it like that and we're very much you know low code no code tools and over time i realized actually you end up just building a business which is like a body carved in plasters and really you should just deal with the injury don't just try and cover it up um so to cut a very long story short i was i was working uh, as a cto uh, and i was implementing a lot of uh, automation and controls in a uh, medical business that I was working for and I was approached uh, by a few other companies over the years to start dealing with these problems for them and in the end I thought you know what let's just start doing that that's a that's a good idea let's let's head into this path and and ever since then it's just it's grown rapidly which is <laughs> like most companies there are you know there's good and bad points to that as well right so we face the same issues that our customers do on a daily basis of course Makes sense, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I like that, uh, the idea of, hey, I, I decided to make a company because everybody kept bugging me about doing something. 
<laughs> and I figured, why why well, do it for free or just on one-offs? Right, there's a market need for yeah. here yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. and let's be honest, a lot of our customers probably are in the same boat, you know, especially, oh, 100%. Again, a lot of the software companies we find ourselves working with are probably ones that yeah. may have been doing something completely different and kept getting questions about, hey, how can we do this? Or maybe they yeah. were working in a job or in a certain uh, industry where they said, man, there's there's a real need for something different here. Mm. I'm going to create that something different and turn it into a business. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I always yeah, love yeah, to yeah. hear that. Yeah. So I think I think you're going to line right up with uh, a lot of our customers and and what they're looking for. Uh, so so then let's get into this conversation about rapid scaling, as you refer to it. Uh, and and first of all, help us define that, what that means on your terms, and when do you think a company is is ready to do it? But then also on the flip side of that, you know, let's also get into what can go wrong if they're not ready. Sure. Okay. So when we talk about rapid scaling versus growth, we need to deal with two words. We need to talk about linear growth and exponential growth. As humans, we're really bad at trying to attribute any type of time in the future to something. So for instance, if I ask you how many sales you make next week, you might be giving me a pretty firm answer within a year or two later on, that's going to be start to get really hard. Now, when we start to do rapid scaling, what we're seeing is exponential growth. And that's where things become difficult to predict. Uh, it's great in one way because all of our plans and all of our dreams have come true. We're seeing massive growth. There's loads of revenue. Everyone's high-fiving. But then those small fires that I was talking about at the start of the, the podcast and what's why I'm putting plasters on, you can't put a plaster on it because it's a blazing inferno. And before you know it, you turn around and there's blazing infernos everywhere and everyone's just running around like headless chickens. And, and that is one of the problems that's going to start to emerge. Um, so really... Before you kind of look at what could go wrong if you're not ready, as you said, how do we know if we're if we're ready to start getting into rapid scaling? Uh, and the the big answer there is: can we point out a plan to every member of staff on our team that this is the exact instruction on how to do this? This is the exact plan where if we onboarded a new person, they just had the plan straight away there, and we knew exactly what we were going to do. Without that, you're not ready to to have any type of exponential rapid growth simply because the fires are going to be too big and you're going to start to burn clients, right? And then as soon as your reputation is damaged, that's quite bad. But you often see these issues emerge in, in areas that you wouldn't think of. Um, so you're going to encounter something if you do start to rapidly scale and you're not ready, uh, something called normalization deviance. Sounds like something I've made up, right? <laughs> So, or very scientific, at least. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The normalization deviance. This is this is really common, and um, I don't know about you guys, but I've got two very young kids. I've got one who's four, and one is two and a half. And the the funny thing about that age is they'll come back from school, or 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 uh, we call it nursery here. I think um, you guys call it kindergarten. So they'll come, yeah. they'll come home, and they would have learned something new. Think, Where have you learned this from? One of the other kids has picked it up from somewhere. They've taught the next kid. So normalization deviance is what's going to happen within the company. So one person will deviate from the plan just slightly. Mm-hmm. And someone else sees them doing this. And that's obviously acceptable to do that now because the other person has and no one's been picked up. So the next person down the chain does the same thing. Before you know it, the deviance has flooded through the company and everyone's gone completely off the chart with this. Uh, and then it can become quite dangerous uh, to the point where if you have a, a company that's very much trying to be compliant in an industry, this can get into hot water really quick. Uh, and, and you can find that actually 
this deviance can be really damaging. So that's one area that is really important to watch out for, that the plan is there, that no one is deviating from the plan. You need the spot check. Don't just put a process in place and then not check it. That was that was, that was no point. You need a process for your process. <laughs> and then the second one is we need to watch that we're not going to burn people out. So my belief is there is a reason why we're all working eight-hour days. If you try and work more than eight hours, I'm sure you guys can contest you start to feel a bit tired, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ten hours is getting difficult. Twelve hours, well, you're sluggish. Yeah. But I don't actually think anyone's even really productive for eight hours a day. It's probably about six and a half hours maximum, so 80% yeah. of your day. So you yeah. see big consulting companies like McKinsey, Accenture, Cognizant, Bain & Co. These are big consulting firms who've done a lot of management consultancy, and most of them believe 80 to 90% utilization rate or, or actual productivity is the pinpoint that we should be going for. No more. So when you're rapidly scaling, you're going to start to burn people out. People are starting to hit utilization rates of 110%, 120%. They can only do that for a few days before it starts to creak and people get tired and ill and sick, and then mm. we lose people. So these are the areas that I think you've got to really watch out for. It really interesting. Let's go back to the rapid scale, the concept of that versus growth, if you will, because I think that's an yeah. important one to kind of delineate. And and it was a it took me a little to get it squared away in my mind too. I mean, you know, from a scaling perspective, what you're saying is that a, a business really can't scale unless there are some uh, processes in place that are scalable. Meaning, it's the same it's the same process time and time again. And through that delineation of the process, now you can scale it rapidly. Right now, you can add on more customers because you're doing the same thing but instead of doing it for one person you're doing it for a hundred so you've just scaled the business correct using a process whereas it, it, exactly yeah yeah i'm yeah. sorry go ahead yeah, you're so right i mean look there's, there's there's a really good example we've, we've all got a starbucks around the corner there's mm -hmm. one not far from me there's one not far from you and there's one not far from every listener and the same time we've all got another coffee shop that we quite like the local coffee shop but the local guy who runs it He's done it for a few years. We really like it that he makes a good coffee. But his growth is much harder than Starbucks because if you want to get a new store for this guy on the, with his artisan coffee shop, boy, that's hard. He's got to teach everyone his perfect way of making you know, a macchiato or a cappuccino, and he's got a real art to it, but he doesn't really have any of it written down. And he's just, he sees it as an art rather than a science. With Starbucks, they're just going to chuck a manual at you and say, cool, off you go. We've already found the place. We've done the research. We know exactly what's happening. Here's the manual go. This is why we can see kids who are, you know, 16, 17, 18, making you a, a cappuccino in New York, and it's exactly the same in Florida. And that's, that's where rapid scaling starts to come in, right? And that's when you know you're ready to do so because everyone knows you can chuck a bunch of cash at, at Starbucks and we're going to scale rapidly. As long as we can find the locations, we chuck a load of cash at, our local coffee guy, mm, this might not work out so well. In fact, we're just going to get a bunch of fires that we can't control. <laughs> right, right. I really like this concept, Daniel, because in our world, uh, you know, you hear a lot about as a service, right? So a lot of our channel, a lot of the businesses and the technologies that we play in are moving to this as a service model. So like, you know, whatever. I, I, am, I can develop a solution on a mobile device and I'm going to provide a, a variety of services to the end user uh, to manage 
that device for them. So there's just a lot of chatter, and the whole industry is moving towards this as a service model, right? I mean, you hear about it everywhere. Uh, it, it's it's how can we get that recurring revenue? How can we do these things? Well, you really can't do them at scale unless you have processes defined with limited deviation. And I'm going to start using that word because, yeah. right? What you're, I guess, what you're advocating here, Daniel, is is kind of thwarting deviation. You really want to line up processes in certain parts of your business so that it is cookie cutter to, to use a term, but what you're going to gain from that is the ability to scale it at scale, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. for all those listening, start thinking about your processes in your head. Think about everything that's happening in your business right now. It feels foggy, right? You can't quite picture all the processes. It's hard to pinpoint all those things, but you shouldn't have to keep any of that in your brain. Your brain's awful at this. You're in the shower and you think, oh, <laughs> I forgot to... I forgot to call Sally back about, 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 you know, whatever it is, you know, the, the new server we should have ordered from AWS or X, Y, and Z. And your brain's awful at reminding you of these things. So you need firm processes to get all this down. Um, you know, and even, you know, when we're talking here about, and as you were just saying, you know, services, you know, as a service, whatever they kind of are, a lot of that is going to come back to sales and is going to come back to support. Mm -hmm. And if we don't give our sales guys you know, specific structured plans and processes, two things are going to happen. One, they're going to be terrible at selling. So we're going to get bad performance out of some of the reps and great performance out of others. And we don't really know why. And they don't even know why either. Mm -hmm. And it upsets them. Or they're going to start selling stuff we can't actually do and promise clients things that are completely outlandish. <laughs> and then people instantly churn, which is yeah. the worst. Bingo. It's the, uh, it's yeah. the, it's the last one there that I yeah. have experienced a lot in my life. You yeah. know, you got a rogue sales rep. Or I, they're just trying to do their job, I guess, right? And they don't understand yeah. it or the process isn't well-defined. Right, right. So they start offering the world. Yep. And it's just like, whoa, 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 what yeah. the hell yeah. did you just do? And you've either got to back that up in some way and, yeah. and, and just do it and know you're going to lose out on that. Right. Or you've got to have a very hard conversation with not only the customer, but the employee also. About Bing, like, yeah. yeah, we got to talk about this. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, you, you've, you thought, hey, let's get some sales reps in. This is going to be great. I've just watched Boiler Room, the film. I'm excited. I'm G'd up. <laughs> and the sales guy says, hey, what do I have to do? You say, look, just sell as much of this as you can. That's the process. So what's right. he going to do? He's, he's yeah. just going to, as we say in the UK, uh, you know, be wide and, and just say whatever he wants, and then it will churn. And that's awful. But then, of course, the other side is we've got support. And if we haven't trained someone to support what the actual answer is, again, two things are going to happen. One, we're just going to start refunding people for things we shouldn't be refunding them on. Uh, or, or two, we're just going to churn them through bad support. Yeah. Um, and we can't. What's the point if you've got a bucket? It's got holes in it and you're just trying to pour more water in it constantly. But if you fix the holes in the bucket first, it's going to make your life so much easier, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. This you know, I, I, especially, I, especially with reoccurring revenue. Yeah, right. bingo. Yeah, yep. absolutely. I, I like that we're talking about this in a sense of, I feel like we're, we're giving you a roadmap towards scaling, but mm -hmm. we're also telling you like, hey, it's okay to not do this. It's okay to acknowledge that you're not ready yet. It's oh, yes, okay to admit absolutely. that, look, yeah. I don't have what I need in place mm -hmm. to do this right now. You know, your example of the, you know, the artisanal coffee maker. Right. You know, that guy might think, hey, that would be awesome if I could open like, you know, 20 shops around the country or something, you know, or even just in my little area here, my region. Mm -hmm. But acknowledging that you don't have what what you need in place to compete with the Starbucks of the world and to, to replicate what you do very well. I think sometimes it's okay to take a step back and say, you know what? I'm extremely good at what I do right here. I'm doing everything I need to do to make a great living off this. 
maybe long term I, I ramp up enough to have a second location when I've got someone I trust enough that can replicate this process. But I think it is okay to say, look, I, I know we want to do this. We'd love to do this. Yeah. Everybody would love to have the business that's the next multi-million dollar company right, right. that's spread around the world. But, but that doesn't mean you can't. No, it doesn't. And that's or why that I think should. this concept is so important that Daniel's illustrating here because I think that a lot of our customers, and Daniel, they're they're systems integrators, right? And they're very project-based. I mean, if we were to go back 20 years before recurring revenue or as a service, hell, we don't even have to go back that far. 10 years ago, everybody's project-based. And so their companies would grow, yes, but they're growing by the next project, right? And the next project's going to be bigger, or we're just going to do more of these, although they're all going to be customized and it's all going to be, you know, very handholdy, which is fine. You know, but it's that's not a, always sustainable. But it's not it's not scalable. Is 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 what right. the the point is here? If you want a scalable business, you really have to bring processes to 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 bear in order to be able to scale right, it, right? right? Yeah, so. and you know there was a an article I I, I put it on the cue sheet for us here that uh, from spend uh, spenddesk dot com mm-hmm. that they mentioned like Google as an example. And obviously, Google is yeah. the most high level example you can get, but it noted that hey, they started off you know uh, they figured out how to scale in recent years, adding customers, either paying business clients or ad supported free users, while being able to keep costs at a, at a minimum. As of two thousand seventeen, it had seven products with over a billion active users each, while only employing about eighty eight thousand people. <laughs> Granted, no, we're not telling anybody you can aspire to be the next Google. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. That's that's a whole different. A little bit of there. an anomaly. Yeah. In this same article, it also noted that two third of the fastest growing companies fail, which is ah. that right there is telling you like, hey, you may all want to do this, but if you're not ready for it, you may start heading down that path and mm. end up failing. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Dean, I think that gets us into the next part of our conversation mm-hmm. here, which is something you refer to as structuring simple systems, Daniel, and. Uh, as a way to mm. scale rapidly. So tell us a little bit more about that. Give us some context and examples of how that works. Yeah, sure. So often what's going to happen with this type of thing is we're all going to accept, we're going to say, hey, okay, we get it. You know, rapid growth is just as stressful as having no customers. I ask anyone who's done rapid growth and is out of control, they'll tell you that. Uh, so what people are naturally going to do, and they're saying, okay, we get it. We're going we're gonna to start to drop these process maps we're going to have to understand how these things work and we're going to work together and, and pull this all together. What's naturally going to happen is people are going to overcomplicate things. We need to break it right down. We need to understand a bit like when we're talking about um, no and low code automation tools. They always have a trigger. So you just something like Zapier. There's a trigger to start what they call a zap or something else to happen. Mm-hmm. But we need to yep. do the same thing here. What's our trigger? Okay, so whatever it is, Brian receives an email from a client. Right, there we go, boom, there's our trigger. And what happens next? And we need to break everything down into its most simplistic steps that we can. This is absolutely vital. Then off of the back of that, you can start to make plans. So looking at actually what is the best foot forward with all of these simple processes. Um, And then at the same time, we can start to do um, actual planning of key personnel risk. A good point is you might suddenly expose, or hang on a second, it's only Peter actually knows how to do this one process. So if Peter <laughs> leaves, we're in big trouble, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, that's really what I mean by structuring simple systems. I don't mean restructure everything just because we want to make everything simple because life doesn't work that way, right? Especially in when we're talking about software uh, and, and we're talking about, you know, engineering products. Really what we want to do is to try and break everything down to its own component parts. Um, 
that's where we're going to really start to establish what the actual processes are and start to really understand what we can do to optimize and improve these. Yeah, bringing to bear tool sets, right? That's where you start getting into tool sets like Zapier or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was reading some of the articles on your on your webpage about RPAs, and we've talked about that, where you know it's just this process automation, but it's you know maybe some very clerical type of activities that you can add an RPA to, uh, and it helps to automate that part of a, a particular process. It's not only automating it, it's yep. standardizing it, and it's bringing to bear the efficiencies that the, that, that brings, right? So what if we yeah. if we have it right? So what are some of those tools then, Daniel, or what are, what are some manifestations, I guess, of this of this structuring a simple system? I mean, I guess you were tapping on a little bit with the email and the, and the triggering a zap, but are there some other things out there that you're you know aware of or that you do in a commonly? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the same thing that I tell every single new client who joins us is this. When was the last time you phoned your bank and you, you said to them on the phone, I just want to speak to a robot, <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know about what it's like in the States, but in the UK, we used to have uh, bank managers. They don't yeah. exist in the UK anymore. No one has a bank manager. I'd love a bank manager. I'd love a guy <laughs> or a girl. I could just call about our account and speak to them. It just doesn't exist anymore. So. Yeah. The clue there is the fact that we should be shifting the humans away from the boring binary stuff. So we're talking about things like reconciliation of accounts. We're talking about moving money between bank accounts. A good example here is um, we have a number of bank accounts in our own system here for our cash flow where, where money comes into the main account and is automatically split between the others so that we can start to actually plan for the quarter and start to uh, budget properly. Uh, and we also reconcile this at the same time for our accounts. So this is a good example of something that can be controlled that way. Uh, but when it comes to any type of client interaction, there's a human there, right? So when we're talking about actually doing those processes, I'm talking about not doing the human to human stuff. I'm talking about doing stuff that is measurable, where there are numbers involved, where it's binary, you know, whether it's true or false, or if it's this or that, there can be no gray area in these things. Yeah, that's what humans are great at. We're brilliant generalists, right? Yeah. And machines are terrible at this. You know, right. ask, ask, ask Deep Blue to beat you with Super Mario, you'll win hands down, right? Chess is another story. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, but tools like RPAs are out there, right? I mean, people are using them today. Yeah. I'm looking at a, a statistic on your website. 88% of corporate controllers uh, expect to implement RPAs in 2021. I mean, that's, you know, so yeah. so businesses are starting to get the idea out there that there are mm -hmm. some ways that we could automate some processes. But the optics here are, especially if a, if a company is looking to scale, uh, really looking for some of those opportunities that they can do it and offer those, still offer these services. But again, a lot of stuff's happening in the background using, utilizing tools and maybe even uh, processes like RPAs that they may not be aware of yeah. that are out there. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah that's, that, that's right. I mean, your, your listeners are going to be more advanced, right? So the Zapier and IFTTT type mm. of products out there are going to be really quite simplistic for their needs because they're already aware of how to integrate with APIs and start to utilize different um, scripts in order to run crons at the right time. So for those types of people, they need to be looking at tools like trade.io, which allows you to interact with different API endpoints very easily and mm. push the data through an entire system, which is quite complex compared to Zapier. But if you have some um, technology training and you're, you have some development skills, you can create some amazing things from this, um, which just aren't possible with other low and no code tools. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, 
we talk a lot, we've talked in other episodes before about the idea of replicating the things that you like in your personal life and mm-hmm. realizing like, hey, why wouldn't you give your employees access to the same kind of tools that they like to use in their day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. We talk about that when we talk about like mobile computing, for mm-hmm. instance. Mm-hmm. You know, we, A lot of our resellers sell mobile computers that are you know designed to work within those spaces. And part of the reason you talk about it is, hey, everybody is walking around with a cell phone in their hand every day. <laughs> We're all used to these things to get information, to, to learn, to adapt, to adjust, to communicate. So it's hard to tell somebody like, hey, I want you to go work in a space where you don't have access to that kind of technology. We want you to use old-fashioned technology instead. So, you know, the whole idea behind that is why don't you bring what works for us in our day-to-day lives into a work environment as well? I think it's kind of similar here, too. We have learned to live with different types of automation in our own lives, uh, whether it's as simple as, you know, bill paying, for instance. Right. When was the last time you wrote a check to pay yeah, a bill? exactly. Yeah, you don't yeah, do yeah. it anymore. Or even had to actually go click something even to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now it's just can, automatically yeah, set up. You yeah, set something up, it pays your bills for you, you get maybe a notification about what was paid, yep. and that's it. Yeah. Stuff like that, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing that at a company level, too. Mm-hmm. Like, look, mm-hmm. at, and again, it's that idea of, Look at your processes. What do you have going on? You know, Daniel, as you mentioned, outside of the human-to-human stuff, what's happening in your business that you could just as easily automate and then reallocate somebody from wasting a bunch of time messing with numbers or clicking buttons and moving stuff around and put them into a different position where they can actually make an impact and a difference with your customers and your, you know, your business and what you're trying to actually accomplish. Yeah, that's it. And we've talked about that, you know, reallocating of those resources. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you touched on that, Daniel, because, you know, yeah, if you implement some of these RPAs or processes that start automating things in the background, well, the human capital that you have is still very important yep. to the company. It still is the number one mm-hmm. uh, resource of any company are their employees, right. because if they've been there for any amount of time, they have just, you know, tribal knowledge, call it whatever you will, uh, knowledge about the company and that you can leverage that, but maybe they should be leveraged in a more human touch. And, and so I like that about where you're going, Daniel, because that, that rings a chord to what we've been uh, hearing and seeing. And well, for all, you know, your best person is wasting their time, crunching mm-hmm. numbers, filling out spreadsheets, mm-hmm. running reports. Yeah. That could be one of your best face-to-face people or your best idea people for mm-hmm. expanding and growing and scaling your business mm-hmm. that you've just never tapped into because mm-hmm. for now you've got him in this slow level job that you just, you have to have somebody to do because you don't want to automate that yet. <laughs> yeah. So, so true. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, well, do you know what? I mean, one of the best moats for any business is the best support or the best sales, the best relationship we can have with our client. Good luck breaking through that. Right. Definitely. That's true. Well, so Daniel, let's, let's talk about another aspect here. This is a, a topic we're very passionate about here on the show. We talk about frequently because, you know, we spent most of the last 18 months working from home and we're not here recording podcasts. We're typically working from home still. Remote work has become a big deal. It's become a, a force that it never, no one ever expected it to be. And I think there, I think that whole concept is something that can blend itself into this idea of rapid scaling. Because if you're looking to grow your business right now, you're looking to move up and you want the best people for your business, Mm -hmm. that person very well may not be in the same region, the same city, the same state that, or even the same country that you're in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So why not, you know, take advantage of that? So I, you know, from your perspective, what are your thoughts on businesses kind of future proofing and helping themselves to grow and to scale by embracing a talent pool that's not necessarily local. Yeah, there's actually a hidden benefit that people often don't pick up on with it. You're forced to document everything. 
because as soon as you start trying to hire people from around the world, you're going to find, like you say, they're in a different state. So you're going to start maybe finding a couple of hours time difference. I mean, maybe we'll find a four hour time distance. Maybe you're going to hire someone, you know, here in the UK or over in Russia or wherever it might be. Those time differences forcing companies to be asynchronous is the future and is the secret to nailing this. If you can nail asynchronous working, you can outflank your competitors every single turn. They just can't keep up, right? They've got to sleep at some point. And if they're still working, you know, you know, from a, you know, from Philadelphia and they've got their whole team there around a desk, they're going to lose. There's, they, mm. they can't win. You've got, you've got no overheads. Your team are completely distributed. You're able to pick people up quickly. And like you said, pick up some of those talented people in the world. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think that's kind of where we keep always landing on this too, is I, I, I do feel like honestly, the, the, the competitive nature in the future of, of finding new employees might have a lot to do with being able to say like, Hey, I I'm looking at you. I know you are great at doing this. You are hundreds of miles away from me, but I'm happy to let you stay right where you are, mm-hmm. where you want to be, where you want to live and mm-hmm. where you want to work, mm-hmm. but still employ you, even though I'm, you know, on the other side of the country. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think there's going to be, we, we were actually kind of talking offline before this, this whole idea of a uh, worker revolution of sorts that, you know, may kind of influence, you know, the next level of what's happening in the world of, of employment mm-hmm. and jobs where maybe there's a little more power on the side of the, the employee to say, hey, I want to work for somebody that's a little more flexible. And I think we, are, we already were talking about that desire for flexibility, but now there's an even one more yeah. level we can add on top of it. Yeah, yeah I, I, absolutely. I mean, here, I say to everyone, you're an adult. So you decide this is the output we need to produce. We know what we're expected to do. So let's all be adults. So work from where you want. And I literally mean it, wherever you want. You're going to work from a beach and it makes you happy. Good for you. I mean, I, I, I'd love to go to, you know, Bermuda or the Caribbean and work from there. Amazing. I mean, I can't, but I'd love to. <laughs> so right, I do exactly. it. My kids are at school. But still, uh, you know, I say to myself, work from wherever you want, whatever makes you happy. And at the same time, unlimited holidays. Take whatever holiday you need. Be an adult about it. If your output's still there, no one can question that, right? Uh, and that's what it's about. The, I think that the concept of working nine to five, I think is outdated. And I don't think is really correct anymore. Sure, we need to take into account uh, client time zones. Um, but if we have a fully distributed team, that shouldn't really be a problem anymore. Yeah, yeah. point. And, and I can see it. And, uh, you know, as you as you kind of mold, as we're all kind of remolding what that work environment looks like, you have to be sensitive to those types of things. Hey, Daniel, going back to maybe some of, you know, how do you, when you typically walk into a, a customer or, and you know, walk us through some of those things that, that, you, that you have an eye on, right? I mean, obviously your eye is to try to make them more efficient and you're trying to build a, a system that can now, they can, they can scale. Uh, moving forward, but what are what are some things that you typically are looking for? Your team is looking for when they walk in the door to a, a, like a new prospect. All right, cool. Well, typically, let's say John and I have got a meeting because John is scaling rapidly. He's got some problems. We'll walk in. I'll give John a hug and I'll say, "Tell me where it hurts, John," and then we'll sit down <laughs> and we'll work it out. Right. You know, the, typically the business owners are instantly going to tell you what the problem is. Yeah, uh, it's the thing that they go to bed worrying about. It's the thing they wake up worrying about in the morning, and and it's going to be there. Big issues we often come across is communications and transparency in businesses. Um, mm. Where communications break down, people aren't being followed up on things, that's where it gets really difficult. You can end up with a bit of a blame culture where everyone says, you know, hey, wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be a big issue. And we're not looking to, to 
you know, as business owners or management really blame someone, what we just want to do, we want to get it fixed. We want to make sure they don't make the mistake again. It's okay to make mistakes. If we're scaling rapidly, we're going to make mistakes. That comes with it, right? And we expect that. But yeah, typically you're going to find it's client comms. Um, you're going to find it's financial stuff. Cash flow is a really big issue. And you're going to find that there's going to be, a, for people who are producing physical products, there is a whole issue going on at the moment with looking at anything to do with moving products around. Even mm. if it's from state to state or to another country, it's a whole different deal at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Well, I like where you were going there because you know so much of this is can go back to communications. You know, and and I can remember you know back again in a previous life of mine when we we're trying to develop managed services and trying to paint that picture of what that's going to look like and what we're going to go to market with. Right? You know, what are those as a service things are we going to be bringing to the marketplace? Well. You have to be able to communicate that, uh, what you're trying to do, and then map out the communications within your team members right, right. in order for that to be efficient. Because if you don't map that out, if you don't have the processes there, it's going to get gummy really fast, as, yep. as we talked about. And, and then mm -hmm. suddenly it just doesn't work. You have a bunch of frustrated customers and things like that. So uh, that's interesting. Com communications and transparency. I, I heard you there. Uh, you know, a lot of software development companies, though, are dealing with cash flow. So what are some advice that you would give on that front? You know, do you are you early on trying to bring some efficiencies to cash flow, too, and how it's delegated? Is it, do you do you go into that part of it as well? Yeah, cash flow is really, really tied to two two key areas when it comes to software development. There's estimation of projects and there's utilization of staff. Mm -hmm. If we're misestimating projects that's where the cash flow issues come in for these companies some of the companies are going to ask for 50 percent payment up front they're going to ask for monthly retainers they're going to ask for everything upon delivery but as soon as you start misestimating things that's where you get big problems and a lot of these software developers will have no process for the estimation I'm sure we're all familiar with scrum we're familiar mm -hmm. with sprints we're going and we're guessing our points and everyone's really happy about how they've had their you know sprint planning day but how many of us can hold our hands up and say that actually works? And we're not really even looking at any historical data when we're doing that as well, right? So it is about establishing a proper process for your software estimation. It's a complete conversation that we could have. Uh, and it's a real dark art to it, but it's an important point to underline. And the other one is, as I've said before, is utilization. Because if you misestimate something, your utilization is going to be off because you get into a situation where are you going to charge the client? Are you not going to charge the client for this? What's your arrangement with the client? Things are going to start to get really icky, really quick. And that can become a real big problem. And I mean, this is on top of other things when we're just talking about general, you know, financial director or financial analyst type of roles where money needs to be chased, invoices need to be sent on time. These types of things are vital to companies like that for their cash flow. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Mm. All right. Well, hey, uh, I think we could go down this rabbit hole for a very long time, honestly. But, yes. you know, more importantly, if you want to learn more about this, uh, first of all, check out Lollico. That's L-O-L-L-O-L-L-Y.co. Uh, I will put a link to that in the show notes as well so you can reach that. And uh, check out Daniel's book, Upgrade, when it comes out as well. I guarantee there's going to be a lot more in-depth discussion about this topic there. Uh, before we move on to the value of the VAR, I want to, as always, thank our sponsors, uh, Elo, Epson, Honeywell, and Zebra. Thank you very much for your support of the show. We couldn't do it without you. Hey, uh, if you have some thoughts uh, about the show, uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, if you if you like the show, if you yep. want to give us a little bit of feedback, uh, give us a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you there. Uh, if you watch us on YouTube, uh, hit the like button for this episode. Leave us a comment. Subscribe to the channel. We want to learn more from you. 
And of course, as always, if you do want to reach out to us, if you have some uh, some talking points that you want to share with us, if you have some questions or other topics you want us to discuss, you can find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod. You can also email us at TechConnect at BlueStarInc.com. All right, let's wrap up then with, uh, first of all, the value to the VAR. So, uh, Daniel, this is the part of the show where we typically kind of try to take what we've discussed already and wrap it up with a takeaway for our audience, for our VARs, for our software companies that yep. listen to us. Yeah. So, in your mind, for, for our customers that do think they're ready to scale, they've listened to this, they've heard all of the potential pitfalls, and they're still saying to themselves, yeah, but I think I want to do this. I think I'm ready to do all this <laughs> stuff. What are one or two things you would suggest that they do right now to get started? Okay. If you think you're ready to scale and you're ready to put your money where your mouth is, here's the key. Go online, go onto a, a comparison site for airline tickets, book yourself a ticket to somewhere hot. Stay there for two weeks. Tell your team you're doing this. Don't talk to them for two weeks. Come back and then tell me if you're ready to scale. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Think about it, huh? I like it. No snap judgments here. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Look, you'll know straight away. Your team will come back. You've got, there is either going to be a lot of fires or none. If there's right. none, you're ready to scale. Ah, gotcha. I like I, that. I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, Everything's I like running smoothly. We're ready to step on the gas and yeah, start scaling yeah. this. Market that's this right. baby. Yeah. And that's got to <laughs> feel good from a management perspective, too, because I, I remember my days in management, and even now, like, you know, where I'm more or less an individual computer contributor for the most part. But uh -huh. but you're right. You take that week away, and you say to yourself, how much is going to go wrong while I'm gone that I'm right. going to fix when I come back? <laughs> yeah. And if you come back and you're pleasantly surprised by it and go, oh, okay, everything's everything's cool. <laughs> so if I you like come that. back and there's a lot of fires, you got a lot of work to do is that what you're saying yeah yeah you're not ready you're yeah. not ready at that point but hey look more holidays right who's going to complain exactly Your wife's not yeah that's got to be the best advice we've ever given to we basically <laughs> just told people go on vacation that's the value yeah. right now is go on vacation for a couple weeks yeah. the tech connect podcast told you so oh that's like pretty it. good yeah all right well hey let's let's wrap up then with uh what's tech neck <laughs> with you that's our favorite segment we get to talk about something in the world of technology science innovation that has our attention it's caught our eyes something we're reading about something we are excited about dreading who knows what it could be right uh daniel I'll let you start what's tech connecting with you right now okay what is tech connecting with me right now is a small company i found called switchbot i think the okay. site is switchbot.io but these are small and you can probably see let's see if i can get my uh, hand in the right there somewhere you yeah. can see as uh, on our light switch there is a small box now this is a it's a bluetooth switch and it can press and it can pull so you can put it on light switches uh, okay my wife's not the king because they're everywhere it's <laughs> littered. <laughs> uh, but I quickly, I quickly realized that it comes with a, a small box that connects to the Wi-Fi and it has an API. Um, so you can really do some cool stuff with it. So for me, I'm trying to connect up to my own personal assistant, which is having some uh, interesting results. Uh, but for others, you'll be able to connect up to Zapier and other great things like this. So it's for the lazy person. It means you can make your coffee in the morning if I had to do anything. You can turn your heater on and off your fans, anything you want, all the lights on and off as you wish. I think it's great fun. It's something that's so simple, uh, just clicking or, or pulling a button back is it's quite fulfilling. There you go. Yeah. Switchbox.io. Is that the is that the uh... Switchbot. Switchbot. Uh, switch oh, Switchbot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Switchbot. Yeah. And I will put that link in the show notes for that too. That's, uh, <laughs> I gotta check that out. Yeah. More automation at your home. There I like. you go. Now wait a minute. You said your wife is putting yeah. these all around, and it's not you? No, 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 no. She. No, no, she's taking them off of things. Oh, they just disappear. Oh, gotcha. I put them on stuff, and then they're suddenly disappearing. <laughs> she's not so keen on. Uh, <laughs> she's not so keen on the way they look. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Oh, there we go. Yeah, right. Am I aesthetic? Am I? Am I? Very funny jokes as she calls them while she's watching TV. <laughs> 
Nice. That's pretty good. That's All pretty right, good. Dean, what's second activity with well, you? Well, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, it's actually a research uh, that, that has come out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and, mm-hmm. and it's all around how we spent our time in 2020 versus 2019, right? And so okay. then there's polling some shows things a big out. difference. Yeah. Shows a big difference. So they, you know, basically the question was in a 24-hour period, you know, the, the the survey was, what did what did you do normally over a 24-hour period and they compared it to what people were doing in 2019 versus 2022. Right. Now, or 2020, I'm sorry. Now, the one that, that came to the top, what people are doing or were doing in 2020 versus 2019, the thing they were doing more than anything else you will never guess it in a million years, but I'll give you the chance I, I, to guess it. So 2019 versus 2020, what were we doing in 2020? Way more than in a 24-hour period than we were doing in 2019. I'm sure it's like watching streaming or something like that or watching content or something. Okay. Now, Daniel, you got you want to venture a guess? Well, now, I've ta- this was in we're the States. We're sleeping, one so. of the two. Uh, no. The, is the answer is no. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you the answer. It's listening to the radio. What? what? Listening to the radio leads the way with a median of more than doubling and the 75th percentile almost quadrupling the amount of time that they spent listening to the radio. I would never have guessed that. That was the number one thing that people are doing so, more in 2020 in a 24-hour period than they did in 2019. When I actually did listen to radio, yes, because, I mean, you yes. know, streaming music going. exists. Right. I certainly didn't listen anywhere but the car. Hey, I'm just giving you the survey. Who, has, who has even, even has a radio in their house <laughs> So anymore? other things, I'm with you. Other things on here did seem to make sense, like interior arranging and decorating and repairs. Okay, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, way yeah. up yeah. there. Computer use for leisure, not, not games. Okay, got it. Financial management, that's up there. Sure, okay, yeah, well, how are my stocks doing, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Uh, all that lawn and gardening, other things radio. that you would think of, but listening to the radio was number one now what are we Did they interview not- anybody under the age of 65 for this i mean <laughs> well it is the bureau of labor statistics here in the united states so we can't we do have to question some true, of those true, right? right i mean yeah exactly who are the the only people that answer polls in america That's are going to be 60 years and older so point. yeah they're listening to more radio oh i turned on the radio and it- but what are we doing less of? Well, we're not waiting for things, right? We're not uh, uh, dropping kids off. We're not doing it. We weren't doing as much. A uh, little less on the health care, which makes sense, right? Yeah, we weren't yeah. doing health care-related self-care or going to doctors and stuff like that. Travel for religious and spiritual things dropped off. So, you know, you saw where – but it's it's really interesting. They've got a whole kind of graphed out, and, and it's very visual that you can see what we're doing more of and what we did less of. But well, that first one's like listening to radio. It's like off the charts. And it's like, no, something's got to be hope, messed up I hope here. that like listening to radio, like I'm, I hope that was like a euphemism for like podcasts <laughs> or just listening to streaming music audio or something only? like that. Yeah, just loaded like into uh, okay. one. Okay, maybe I'll give you that. Maybe because pod- that's the only way that would make sense. That is the only way it would make sense because podcasts have like exploded, right? right? right. Like, and it every- has been an upper trend as it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. We started yeah. ours last year. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Daniel, when's the last time you listened to the radio? Probably never. Yeah, I can just tell by his look. Yeah, I don't think we own a radio. Right, (laughs) exactly. So it's got to be something. 
Yeah, I don't know how it works in the car. I've never even tried to operate the radio. Right, the exactly. Before. Okay, so so it's clearly something's yeah, I'm not, wrong I'm not with this statistic this. here. I'm going to go with your podcast one. That it's, I hope it's really that anything audio right. related. Because yeah. it, well, and if it you're throwing in stuff like audio books and everything sure. too, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't know. I don't yeah. buy that one. All right. All right. Well, anyway, what's tech connecting with you? So we have talked a few times about some of our wish list stuff of like, can't wait till this happens. And we yes. always talk like about automated flying vehicles. cars, right? And I've well, flying cars, yeah, too. Sure, that's more of yours than mine. Because I'm realistic here. So, but one of these things we keep talking about, which I hate to kind of burst the bubble on, is delivery drones. Okay. So there's an article oh, I came whoa. across. You're uh, bursting the bubble today? Yes. Oh. I'm so sorry. Uh, there's an article I came across on Tech Radar, which was basically the, the title was Why Delivery Drones Are Struggling to Take Off, Even with DHL and Amazon on Board. All right. And basically, it was diving into the idea that, hey, this probably isn't going to be the the drone showing up your door, dropping off your Amazon packages like everyone expects to happen anytime soon. Hmm. And there was a few reasons they, they, they got into here. So DHL has basically dropped their operation entirely. They were doing something called Parcel Copter. Yeah. They've essentially stepped away from it. They're not going to make their own their own drones anymore. Okay. At best, they're going to partner up with some others if they if they have some ideas. Got it. Amazon dialed back their, their UK Prime Air operations for drones dramatically. They still won't say that they're out of it yet, but internal people are saying, like, no, this whole thing's collapsed. You know, so. Got it. Got it. And basically, what it comes down to is a lot of it is there's some factors like legislation, security, safety, but the biggest one is practicality. Okay. That they can't justify the practicality of it when, especially as we've seen over the last year, as delivery is ramped up, last uh-huh. mile delivery is getting bigger and better and better with people just getting stuff driven to your house and dropped off. Okay. It's not a big issue, enough of an issue, that people are just demanding, I have to have it delivered by a drone. Oh, I see. When it's still so convenient and easy for someone to drive to your home and drop something off instead. I gotcha, I gotcha. So instead, what it sounds like is gonna happen here is a lot of this work that's being done in this is being pivoted to other places. Some examples, applications were like inspecting buildings, uh, public safety, topography and map making, agricultural spraying. You're talking about for drones. Right, delivering metal. Medical supplies, like yes, um, to a remote areas. DHL, mm-hmm. like they shifted some of their stuff over to working with a company that's delivering medical supplies to West Africa, for okay. instance. Gotcha. So I, there's a basically there's basically saying like, look, it's probably unlikely they were all ever going to start getting just packages dropped off at our door by Dang drones. Dang it! Well, what, I went out and built a, a little drop pad <laughs> well, or so a little sorry. landing pad for the drone out in my backyard. You got a little ahead of yourself there. <laughs> so. So it's not going to happen? No. And and the bottom oh. line is, I mean, like, do you ever really feel like you have a lot of complaints about packages being dropped off? I mean, every once in a while, something might go to yeah, the wrong Yeah, but house. I thought there was the whole environmental angle, too. Like, we got to get trucks off the road. There so probably if is, we got but, battery-powered well, drones flying around, but that's just we're going to save the if, earth. If we're moving to, you know, more, more eco-friendly vehicles yeah. and... I could see autonomous vehicles start delivering packages. So like the Domino's, you know, yeah, little, the little thing that comes exactly. down the road and the door opens, you need to go out and get it. I could see more of that starting to happen, okay. but I, it just but sounds, drones, like, it sounds yeah. like they're kind of pulling the plug a little bit on the Well, drone. yeah, and there are a lot of practical reasons why drones just... I've got so many trees around my house yeah. that you, I couldn't get a drone I, in I, there. It feels like it's one of those things where the time and effort and the millions of dollars you have to spend to make this happen do not really justify... The marginal ROI on top of what we're already doing. Gotcha, gotcha. Daniel, were you counting on drones delivering packages to your house, and, and now he's just burst your bubble? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, I, I am quite quite upset about this. I think I think you're right, though. I think there's going to be some great applications for it. Uh, there's a very outlandish uh, celebrity in the UK called um, Jeremy Clarkson. He's, he was famous for doing a lot of car shows. Yes. He has a new show Oh, Top Gear. Clarkson's. We love him. Yeah, right. Yeah. This guy has a new yeah. thing in the UK called Clark 
It's on Amazon, actually. There we go. Uh, called Clarkson's Farm. And in it, he decides that instead of uh, rounding up his sheep with a sheepdog, he should use a drone instead. Uh, yeah. There we go. So there is there is a use related to Amazon yep. for rounding yep. up your sheep if you need to. If any one of us decided, actually, we're getting out of the software game, sheep's for us. I like it. So I drones like it. aren't going away. We're just going to repurpose them exactly. in some way. There just, it is. It's not going to. Sorry, you're you're just going to have to get your package the old fashioned. Right, I'll turn my drone pad into a whatever fire pit. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you find something. You're very industrious, clearly. So. <laughs> All Good right, Daniel uh, Cooper from Lollico. Thank you so much for joining us again. Check out his book Upgrade when it comes out. Uh, like I said, I'll drop some links in the show notes for you to, to keep in tabs on things. We appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. All right. It is unfortunately time for us to unplug. So until next time, find another use for your drones uh, that's safe and legal and uh, stay connected, everybody. Cannabis dispensary owners require reliable, easy-to-use hardware designed to withstand the rigors of continuous use. While consumer products often fail to deliver, ELO's commercial-grade solutions provide an advantage offering manageability, long life cycle, durability, ease of support, warranty, and flexibility. From all-in-one POS systems, flexible monitors, and easy-to-connect peripherals, to eye-catching displays, self-service kiosks, and mobile computers for inventory management, ELO offers a variety of modern, engaging solutions for your dispensary customers. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact the Blue Star ELO team. Finding new avenues to generate sales revenue in the new normal can be daunting. With organizations facing a number of challenges, including reduced staffing and IT budget cuts, the ability to service and maintain their existing Zebra hardware has never been more critical. For channel partners, selling service contracts that extend the life of purchased Zebra hardware is a great value-added sales tool that will not only benefit your customer, but also your bottom line. To learn more, check out the ebook called Zebra Service Contracts, Why You Should Sell Them and How Blue Star Can Help. It's available at techconnectportal.com by searching contracts, or you can find the link in the show notes.